Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, everyone. We are in person recording together. Yes. Today we are together. And so audio might be weird because I didn't bring microphone. It, it might be. This is a different <laughs> setup. We're so used to being virtual that it's weird for us, but we're just so excited. I know we say that a lot, but we are truly excited for our guest today. She reached out to us and we just, her experience is probably the most vast because she's been doing it so long, special education, like before the IDEA was even. We say we start the conversation around special education, special education. Dr. Turner, like you created the conversation. So we are just so delighted to have you on. I'm tickled to be. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us how you got started in education and when that was. Well... I, God forbid, I graduated from college in 1948, and I majored in English, I mean, in education, because my dad told me I had to have a backup plan. In those days, what you did, you went to college, so you found the right man. You know, I was just biding my time. Right, Mm -hmm. right. But when I was in my senior year, we had a lab school on campus. And by the time I got to teach in that place, I woke up one morning and realized that I was born to be a teacher. Mm. Not many people have that kind of experience. Mm, right, right. Now, I got into special ed. It's an interesting story. My first husband, I was just married to him four and a half years, and he died of a brain hemorrhage. Oh, my goodness. But he had polio. Mm. Last year, anybody had polio. Wow. It was, I think, 53, and the salt vaccine was 55, I think. Okay. Mm. And I saw teachers wandering around in the the hospital, and I said, well, who pays you? Right. And they said, special education. I never heard the word. Mm. That that was in 53. Okay. Okay. So I had to go back and be the breadwinner. Because he had to go through rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And when I applied for a job in Shreveport, Louisiana, I told him I wouldn't mind that special ed. And they said, oh, you don't have to do that. You have excellent credentials. Oh, interesting. So wow. By the way, it wasn't a highly respected area. Right. Yeah. Right. Especially back then. I mean, they still. In my classroom, after I got started, they were going to start a class. In Caddo Parish. Now, that must have been the first class in Caddo Parish. Because every handicapped kid that could get a ride to my school, some of them came 20, 25 miles. Wow. wow. But I started in a condemned building out back of the main school. When I went to a faculty meeting, the principal took a told me after the business part that I could leave because they were going to talk about learning. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Ago, I was <laughs> Right. Wow. Right. Right. But then my husband died, bless his heart, and I moved to Dallas to go to graduate school. Okay. And three years later, I got married to a television guy. And I went home and started playing house. And he had the head of special ed in Dallas on his TV show. And she, he told her, my wife used to do that. Yeah. So she hired me. Oh, okay. 
and I taught kids with visual problems. Okay. Mm -hmm. Didn't have any training in it. Had to go to Peabody. That was the closest place in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Because it was very primitive then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, and just to give the listeners a little bit of context, the IDEA, when we talk about it being around for the last 40 years, I mean, that was in the 70s. So you are pre Individuals with Disability Education Act. Yeah. yeah. When I started in special ed, all placement in special ed was by trial only. By trial. Wow. And a parent would bring their trial and if the education people didn't think they were benefiting from education, they sent them home. Wow. So wow. The requirement that they give it. In Texas, you had to be potty trained and have a mental age of three to even be tried out. Now, if you were spina bifida, brain of a genius, you couldn't come to school because you weren't potty trained. You couldn't be. Oh. Very awful. It was really awful. But, you know, in Texas, we had 94-142 before, five years ahead of the federal government. That's the last time we ever did anything in a (laughs) But we had something called Plan A, Senate Bill 230, which had IEPs. Okay. That was in 1969. Wow. Wow. One of the most interesting things I did when I was writing my book is I was doing Google searches and I found a presentation I did. You might be interested in looking at it. had five years of implementing IEPs before 75. Wow. And I had a head researcher and I presented this at a national conference. And I was dumbfounded. Teachers cried the whole time we were training them. Wow. wow. I do go back. I don't yeah. want to do all the talking, but I do. No, no, no. no. You, you go back. And I, I up. It's Absolutely. It took us a year to get a plan for every kid. A year. Wow. I think it was March by the time we got a plan in place. Because the teachers were just horrified. Well, you know, one of them brought an excuse to the training uh, that her doctor said if she continued it, she would have a stroke. What? She had blood pressure problems. So wow. Back. But after I taught the vision kids, I taught the first class of emotionally disturbed children in Texas in 1963. Okay. That was my favorite thing. I love those kids. But then after that, I was made a supervisor. So I have had 63 years experience in special ed. After I became a supervisor, when I retired in 91, I was the executive director in the Dallas schools. Okay. And then I started a consulting business, and I did that till a pandemic hit. I was 92 still consulting. Wow. Wow. And then I was <laughs> during the pandemic. Well, I mean, God bless you, because I don't think there's anyone alive that has probably been doing special education longer than you. People have a 65-year career. No, no. My aunt is a special education teacher, and she just hit 25 years. And, you know, that long. uh, Yeah, I know. And that's what her and I talk about a lot. You know, when I was in undergrad, I thought I was going to become a special ed teacher. And, you know, I talked with her a lot and I talked with other teachers a lot. And there's so much red tape. There's so much difficulty and there's so much burnout. And I think part of it is because there's not enough training to really know how to really handle and work with these kids. Yeah. I started 
you had to have a special, I mean, a regular degree in education. Uh-huh. You had to have three years of successful teaching experience before they would even let you in the program for special ed. Really? Wow. Wow. Anybody can get an undergraduate degree. Right. They call it generic special ed, which is really pitiful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was, I became disillusioned with special ed the day I started. Mm, I bet. First of all, the kids hated being in separate classes. Yeah. I taught vision kids. They'd say, Miss Turner, please let me have regular books. You know, they have big print books. Yeah. But they weren't allowed out of my room for anything. Wow. And I taught all of them in there together all day long. Wow. I even conducted a little uh, unit called What Am I Like to try to teach them that we're all alike and we're all different and that's okay. Right. Then when I talked to Emotionally Disturbed, the main reason they were in there is they hated school. Yeah. They seemed weller than the teacher across the hall. <laughs> yeah. One of them told me afterwards, he had 148 IQ. He said he needed exactly what he got in my class, but he'll never forget what it felt like to drive across town in the retarded bus to get to So I didn't like much of it. As a matter of fact, I changed my major when I got a master's and a doctorate to regular ed, but I couldn't get out of special ed. They won't let you out of it once you're (laughs) whether you're a kid or a grown-up. Well, especially (laughs) someone like you who really gets it. And I think from everything that you've told us so far, I can say, I think with pretty serious certainty that your kids felt like you treated them like a human. Not like, unfortunately, yeah. some kids get treated. Kids to me, you know. It's well, they are regular kids. Outrageous! I listened to some of your podcasts, and in 2023, parents are still going through this crap part. Right? No, absolutely uh, no. To get their kids what they need. Right now, let me, I've been carrying on my inclusion efforts on a couple of levels, but when I was doing what you do, the individual case by case. Mm-hmm. And I was running the district that had 215 schools in it. I mean, it was huge. I had a, over a 1,000 staff members. Wow. So I developed what I call a complex case review team. Okay. And every Monday afternoon, I had a social worker, a psychologist, a diagnostician, a speech and language person. Amazing. I had a team of people. Right. And we were in my office all afternoon on Monday. And any parent or teacher or principal that was beginning to feel like there were disagreements about what was going on yep. could come to that committee and brainstorm. Uh, incredible. Wow. That's amazing. And incredible. I had four third-party hearings in 25 years. One of them I called, my parent, the parent, when I asked for a third-party hearing, I don't know if any realize this that special educators can do that right I told right daddy this system is for the kids not me and you right mm, right and we need to have this resolved because we're hurting your son you and i i mean just the perspective that shift right we come across so many the people in the administrative level that just the focus is on money trying to save money and it's very apparent yeah. because or what they want about that you know i think civil rights people ought to ask for the budgets yeah i never had a budget problem right the money's there for anything right did is i insisted on keeping the federal funds for innovative stuff and stuff that you didn't know you were going to have 
Yeah. And I think I was just intimidated by district, but now most districts use that to pay teachers. Yeah. They yep. use it to just run their program. Right. I had all of my federal funds at my disposal. Yeah. Well, because administrators. I didn't have to ask anybody. If yeah. If I needed something, I didn't have to ask anybody. And I did a lot of training with that money. I did things like I developed an autism clinic with that money. I also had five researchers uh, that I paid. Wow. I love uh, it. In regular research. I didn't want them under me because they wouldn't have any credibility. So I offered the research department of my district, let me hire you hire people to evaluate my program. Oh my God. Incredible. Incredible. So, <laughs> incredible. Do you have any thoughts on what, since, I mean, since it's not like you exited the field, you know, 20 years ago, you've still been in it. You have any yeah. thoughts on why district administrators don't do what all these suggestions that you're saying that you used to do? So I consulted in 90 districts in Texas. Wow. Since I am a retired person. And they vary widely. Some principals are just awesome. Now, you know, yep. in my district, in my district in Dallas, I went back as a consultant at the end of my career, which was kind of fun. Yeah. There was less inclusion than there was when I left. I there were twenty five percent of the schools had no special ed. They sent everybody away. We didn't have room for those kids. Wow. Uh, but some principals would take Anybody you ask them to. Right. But you know what makes me mad is the special and leadership in a district should be the advocate of these kids. Yes. Yes. That was my job. Yeah. I work for those parents and those kids. I didn't work for the public. Right. Yeah. Right. It's that not you job. against the parent. It is the parent and you against the issue. And the issue is how are we going to provide an education that is not only appropriate, it is inclusive, and yeah. it brings everybody together. That and you know, 1973, we had a law passed that said you can't deny access to anybody with a disability mm -hmm. that if the organization gets federal funds. We've yeah, been right. denying access to the neighborhood school for kids with disabilities yes. for 60 years. It's, we still do it. We still do it. I mean, it's probably 90% of our cases. Our kids do not go to the home school. Leaders that don't adopt the role of advocate ought to be selling lingerie at Neiman. <laughs> That's your job. Right. I had a principal call me one day. He had spina bifida twins. Okay. They were very brilliant, but they selected not to talk. Okay. Because the only choice they had was, can I talk or not? Right. So he, they were in a science magnet. They were so smart. Oh, wow. But he called me one day and he said, I'm going to take my whole student body to a salt mine. Where do I put the cripples? <gasps> he I said, himself? you take them with you. Right. right. He said, I can't be responsible for those kids. I said, look, the law says if everybody goes, they go. Right. Amen. And yes. I got a bus and I've got two male aides and sent those kids to the salt mine. And then right. the next year, the man called me. One of them had died. Oh. He called me and he said, I'm going to NASA with my school. What do I do with this boy? I said, he goes. Right. He goes. Yeah. Even, oh, and Lord. I got a 
ticket for that kid, and oh. his sister oh. took him to NASA with his school. But I wasn't being a dude girder. I was following the law. Yeah, right. Yeah. Advocate for those children. Yeah. It's the sweetest letter for that mother yeah. saying, I don't have to work anymore on this. Somebody in house is doing that. Yeah. But that's our job as a special ed leader, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I mean, I think. Some people, and this goes to parents of kids in general education, to people who don't have kids, everyone thinks, well, why should we, why should we, why should I do X, Y, and Z for this child? Well, we're supposed to be educating every child, every person. It shouldn't be. And also that perspective of like, I, why do I have to do this? And that's the sentiment we get. Right. And that's what we get in IEP meetings to this day where teachers are saying, well, I would have to do this. And it's like, yeah, do it. Yeah. Well, the, the irony of it is that we'll have to have a whole program of what I think ought to happen to schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys, this is this is part one. This is part one. And, and Dr. Turner, we're going to have a part two. <laughs> Everybody in that kid's class needs accommodations. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, I could talk all day about the abomination of grade levels. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they came from. Thank I've you. researched it. I've found out a little. Mm. But that teacher has kids besides that disabled kid that needs special help. Yeah, absolutely. Such a variety and a rich diversity in all students. Absolutely. Dr. Turner, I had an older teacher tell me once, I've been doing this for, you know, 30 some odd years. I've never had a child with dyslexia in my class. And I was like, you have, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you have, and you didn't even notice, right? Which right. is almost worse than noticing and not, but like, it's yeah. just, yeah. Well, it's the sentiment that people always say, oh, there's such a rise in autism nowadays. There's such a rise in ADHD. And it's like, no, there's not a rise. It's always been there. Things that disillusion me about education, special aid was the way we group children. Mm. We grouped mm. them by their diagnosis. Yep. yep. That's the way we did it. Yep. So all the kids wore glasses in my vision class. One of them was a Cuban refugee who spent on the floor because he, he went to school in a dirt floor. Mm. Mm-hmm. Was, mm-hmm. One was a little girl that wet her pants every day at 10 o'clock. Nobody knew why. One was a kid that seemed to hear what was going on outside the class better than what was going on in the class. He had mm-hmm. a wiring problem. Mm-hmm. One was a kid that made calendars all day long and tied them up in, you know, between every class, he'd whip off a few years. Now, I know now he was autistic. Yeah. He, he was on the spectrum. Yeah. But that group of kids wore glasses. And that's the only thing they had in common. And to get to certified to teach him, you know what I had to do? I had to learn Braille and the physiology of the eye. That didn't play. Whoa. <laughs> kids in such stupid ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this little boy that all and all we ever worried about was getting the right label on them. This right. boy with a weird wiring. We had something called minimally brain injured back in the sixties. Okay. And so I referred him to that. Okay. And of course he was minimally brain injured. So that teacher had him two years and she decided he was mentally retarded. Well nobody taught him anything, so by then he was. Uh, and she put him in the classroom with the retarded. And I saw his mother years later when I was a super administrator at an autism pro- 
program. She said, we finally found out what was wrong with Jim. He's autistic. Now, I went back and looked at his record, and we had spent his whole career trying to find out what to call him. Nobody taught him anything. Right, right. It, it, you, yeah. why I got so disillusioned with special aid. We just had some stupid assumptions in education. I mean, with, uh, what's sad is we're still grouping kiddos, right? I mean, you see the changes, right? You know, that we say intellectually disabled and, you know, and then it's emotionally disturbed. And, you know, we have autism, autism light. Like, and it's like, why are we focused? Yeah. Why are we focused on that? Let's look at the child because it's an individualized education program. Yeah. And, and the fact that they wear glasses is just part of it. It's just you know? exactly. They have a Yeah. yeah. William, uh, William Rhodes said that he thought we'd run out of his before we ran out of labels. <laughs> I mean, it's still like that, though. And we are seeing just like these trends in, in the short amount of time that we've been, you know, we've been doing this 10 plus years as special education attorneys, but it seems like a drop in the bucket compared to you. But, you know, we see these trends and some of those trends are the same ones you've seen throughout the span of your career. And it, they recycle. Exactly. Yes. Exactly yes. right. Yes. Exactly and it's right. all. It all goes to a lack of looking at the bigger picture of what is the purpose of education. We're mm. supposed to be preparing these children for the real world, right? Being a contributing member of society. But what we break it down to is, can you read, write, and do math on grade level, which... You know, one of the things I did as a consultant, matter of fact, the primary thing I did was evaluate programs mm-hmm. and give them feedback of mm-hmm. what they should do. Yeah. And I did it in districts the size of Fort Worth and Austin. But oh, wow. I did it in Gordon where there was one building. But I would one of the things I would do is I would look at the folders. But I did about 10 different activities, which I describe in my book, mm-hmm. to evaluate a program. But ninety uh, percent of the referrals to special ed that came was he doesn't op- he doesn't work on grade level. That's why they called him in. Now, y'all, some campuses nobody is on grade level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in yeah. Dallas, there are campuses where, and the older you, the further you up the grade level, by twelfth grade, there's twelve different achievement levels in the student body. Yeah. So the grade levels, I need to do a whole podcast on grade levels. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But that kind of thinking is what gets in the way of inclusion. Yes, yes. Because we see, we actually think there's a typical kid somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I've never met them either. They have a normal kid. Yeah. They're all their own fourth grade level Mm -hmm. and they have 10th grade level in language arts. Mm -hmm. They are you know, John Goodland said, I am mentally defective in preparing plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> but thank God somebody else is gifted in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So we're all this mix of uh, differences. If teachers realized diversity was the nature of school and quit thinking about these yeah. boxes to put. Well, in. and that diversity is a yeah. good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing for us to learn from each other. You know, I have two sons, one six three, and he's a mathematician, and one is five nine, and he's a graphic artist. Now that came out of the same James. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And we right. Got kids in schools that are diverse as heck, and schools are designed 
teach grade level subjects like we know what that is. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I when I wrote my book, it was kind of a downer. My niece is a professor and she was editing it. Yeah. She yeah. Said, this is not a happy book. <laughs> And, and I'm just telling what I experienced. But I mean, that's the state of our education system. I do think there are some promising things going. I think the diversity has gotten so obvious that we're we've quit talking about typical kids because they speak different languages. They come from different countries. They're just richly diverse. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some things in my district now called personalized learning, project-based learning. Project-based learning. Some uh-huh. states have quit using grade levels. Some of them have quit using Carnegie units mm, and yeah. start letting kids go through the learning process at their own rate. Right, right. First act like they have to learn it in nine months is crazy. Uh-huh. In and of itself. And I just, just so the listeners have it, it's special education leadership as a personal journey. And I think that to be able to kind of like go behind the curtain and show not only through your experience, but just the perspective. I mean, yeah. I, there had to have been something. I know that you said, you know, hey, you know, you just go to college, but I'm sure something just rang true to your own nature, right? Of just, hey, we're all human. I think that that's yeah, very special. As a matter of fact, in my book, I talk about anthropologists that say every plant and every animal and every human wants to be self actualized Hmm. It's a part of what being a human is. Mm -hmm. And if you start with that belief that you look for the health in these kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen some very obnoxious kids, and my job was to find that urge to be somebody. Yeah. And hook into it. Sarah Lightfoot's called schools a gathering of gifts. Yes. Mm -hmm. And our job is to help kids find out what their gifts are. Absolutely. Isn't that beautiful? No, that, that's so beautiful. gifts, including these little kids, IEP kids. Yes, absolutely. The most interesting people I ever met had an IEP. I, the smartest yep. kids I ever met. Completely, no, completely agree. Mostly disturbed children were so right on about what was wrong with school. Right. <laughs> just, you know. And I'm talking when the principal came on the loudspeaker, they'd get up on a table and yell obscenities into the, you know. <laughs> well, because of how they were treated, right? Were, they were abused in school. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because they, they were like this kid with 140 IQ, 48 IQ. He was, In his record, it said he doesn't, he's not interested in school. Mm, I wonder why. <laughs> and But I want to tell you something. His father killed himself, and I went mm. to his home. Mm. He had built a greenhouse and had rare orchids in it that he did himself. And wow. the Latin names were labeled all the books. Mm-hmm. He had an Eiffel Tower model built in his bedroom. Wow. His, his room was filled with learning. Yeah. 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 And the same one, the interested in it, uh, it's just crazy. Well, to use the term school and learning as synonymous when we're not really fostering learning in schools these days, we're fostering obedience. Mm-hmm. Well, in a large part, like I said, I do see some promising signs, but mm. I want to tell y'all something. I am a systems analysis person, and that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what changed my, that's what changed my whole life. 
is determine the fact that I think special ed should be abolished. Yeah. Not the rights of the kids, right. the law. Right, right, right. But as a separate parent, exactly. yeah. right. right. you mail a kid to another system, right. refer them. But systems analysis did that to me. Yes. Oh, so absolutely. we will have you on probably two, three, four, however many more times you are willing because it, it, my book has several sections in it. The first yeah. one tells about how the formation of a special educator. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a personal book. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not like theories on special ed. Right. The second chapter talks about my administrative experience mm. and some of the things I tried. The third chapter talks about my Consulting that had to do with evaluating programs. Okay. Next chapter was my consulting in terms of innovation and mm-hmm. designing curriculums and things. And then I did a chapter on the horrific trends of special ed that mm. been in existence for sixty years. Yeah, the same freaking the same. And we'll have to get into that. Yeah. That's so, going to be part yeah, two. What the kids and the yeah. It's not changed. And then the last chapter is what I think ought to happen. And that's the perfect thing. We'll have to start on the next episode because what we love to do for our listeners, for the parents out there, the educators, the administrators, is give practical ways we can move forward. Because we've talked today about the problem. That's about parents. I had a parent advisory committee with 60 parents. Some of them were attorneys. Yeah, I bet. Some of them were welfare mothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was the most delightful thing. I ran everything by those people. I had, and they never missed a meeting. Mm-hmm. I can remember sending a little welfare mother to Austin to a meeting to get some information to bring back to us, and she'd never been on an airplane. Wow. And I saw her after I retired. I went back to Dallas, and she was coming in the special ed office with a little briefcase. She said, you created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Those parents were awesome. Yeah. And to, to not see the parents as your advocate. Yeah. With you, exactly. We're exactly right. Exactly right. It's what we're trying to help. Yeah. Absolutely. If any of the listeners have any questions, please message us. We already have like three episodes that we're going to have you come back on. But yeah, we we are going to record a part two with you and we will want to discuss. Yeah. Maybe I'll find out how to use the Zoom. Oh, no. You are so fine. You're good. So thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate it. And to our listeners, I want you to keep doing it. Oh, we absolutely to make work you out of business. <laughs> I hope so too. We say that all the time. We'd love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So to our listeners, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.